Welcome back to another episode of Open Dialogue, the podcast for collaborative SEOs and digital marketers. In this episode, I spoke with Nikki Mosier, who is a senior SEO manager at Two Octobers. During our conversation, we spoke about how to work effectively with large e-commerce clients, the difficulties of battling imposter syndrome, and we also spoke about some of the amazing things that Nikki learned at Tech SEO Boost. So let's jump straight into this one. Here's another episode of Open Dialogue with Nikki Mosier. Welcome to the show, Nikki. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Sam? Yeah, yeah, re- really good. Thank you so much for joining us from from Denver. It's a it's a real pleasure to to have you on and uh, to to pick your brains about some of your experiences working agency side. Um, but before we get stuck into this, I'd really like to um, understand a bit about something that you went to um, the other week or last week, actually. Um, so if I'm Right, you attended Tech SEO Boost. I did, yeah, yeah. in Boston. It um, was awesome. I'm I'm so so jealous. I managed to um, catch some of the talks on the live stream. I caught um, David Sotomano's talk, which was mind blowing, and there's, oh my there's God, it was a so ton good. of good stuff in there. And then I saw J.R. Oakes's talk and uh, how he built his own crawler and his own. Uh, I think he called it like a playground internet or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Yep. How how was it from from your perspective? What what were your favorite talks over Tech oh, SEO? Yeah, it was it was so good. That was my first time actually being there. I did did just the live stream the past year. Um, I'm actually getting ready to. I've got a blog post uh, that I'm just kind of putting the final final touches on of kind of my my like top three talks. Um, so hopefully we'll get that that published on the website this week. But um, yeah, David's was definitely top of the list for me. Um, and then I gotta, I gotta look back at the schedule because there were just so many. Just <laughs> like I feel like my brain is still a little, a little fried from from the week. There was yeah, just a, I can kind of a, an overload. Um, Jory Ford uh, from G two kind of ended. She was one of the the last two sessions, and she talked about um, conquering your crawl budget and how she was able to kind of get Google to expand the crawl budget of the website that she was working on, which I thought was just really mind blowing and something that I think is really kind of relevant for some of the clients that I'm working on right now. And then um, the other one that really stood out for me was um, Tobias Schwartz and his presentation on pagination. I think pagination can be, I know for me personally, as a tech SEO, it's definitely kind of one of those things that I try to avoid unless I absolutely have to tackle it for a client, just because sometimes it can seem a little overwhelming and kind of like this dark gray area that you're really not sure what Google standpoint is at any given time, just because they've kind of, they took rel and next away from us and took rel next and previous away from us. And then kind of, it's kind of all shifted around in the last year or so. So getting kind of his take on pagination and kind of all of the different explanations and the options for pagination and um, kind of the, the do's and don'ts, I think was really, really helpful and really relevant because I have a couple of kind of larger e-commerce clients that it's definitely very timely and relevant for. Mm-hmm. Wow, that that sounds really useful. Do you know if the the live stream is that is that still up? Have they published that? I, I'd um, really like to go back through and um, listen to some of the talks that I, I wasn't able to to catch on the live stream. Um, that's a good question. I'm not totally sure. I know, I know it was on YouTube, so yeah. I, I think it would still it would be up. But I think uh, they were also going to do some editing of it. So, yeah. um, 
Okay. No. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to badger Paul Shapiro about that. Yeah, I know he was headed to a to a board game conference over the weekend, so he might be right. might be back, back to the real world this week. Uh, that's such a good way to unwind, I bet. I bet you, yeah, you feel quite relaxed after that. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it was great. I'm so glad that they do that conference. I think it could be, just like any conference, it's never long enough. There's so much to to pack into a short amount of time. Yeah, it will, it always blows my mind that it's a free conference when when you see a lot of conferences charging like quite considerable amounts of money. And sure, you might pick up a few things, but then compared to Tech SEO Boost and the amount of knowledge that you get um, from all these like people who are at the top of their game, it's yeah, it's it's really amazing that it um, that yeah, it's completely free. Um, yeah, and it's not like it was like in the basement somewhere. It was like in a really nice venue with really good food, and obviously having really good sponsors helps make that possible. But yeah, I definitely pay if we had to buy tickets for it. It was totally worth it. Cool. Okay, um, so let's get stuck into the meat of of this chat. Um, I'd really like to understand how you got started in SEO. Um, I seen from doing my research that you've got um, quite a varied kind of range of experiences working agency side. So if you wouldn't mind sharing how you got into SEO and what your your kind of background is, that, that would be really interesting. Yeah, definitely. So I got started doing SEO almost 10 years ago. Um, I was living in a small town in Northeast Iowa, which is a small state in the Midwest section of the United States. Um, and I was actually working at a, a natural foods grocery store. I was the IT manager. Um, I'd gone to school for women and gender studies, so definitely not anything tech related. Uh, and started kind of dabbling around with WordPress websites. Was building a, a new website for the the grocery store that I was working at, and then kind of started um, customizing WordPress websites for small businesses in the town that I was living in. I definitely wasn't building things from scratch by any means, um, but kind of picking apart WordPress themes and being able to kind of customize them, build out child themes a little bit, that sort of thing. And then I'd hand over this website to a small business like a chiropractor or um, massage therapist, real small um, brick and mortar businesses. And then they'd say, okay, great. Now how do people actually find my website? And I was like, that's a great question. I should figure that out for you. <laughs> so that just kind of, kind of led its way into SEO. Um, that's back when, Upwork was, wasn't Upwork, I can't remember what it was called before Upwork, but um, one of the freelancers, first one of the original freelance sites. Um, so I started kind of picking up some some digital marketing jobs that way, ended up uh, freelancing for a guy in Florida for a couple of years. I worked remotely for him for two and a half years. I don't think I, we, we never actually met in person, but I did the work. Paychecks came every week. It worked pretty well. Um, and then I kind of, the more I started to learn about SEO, realized that agencies might be kind of a cool place to work. So started looking into those about the time that I wanted to make the move to Colorado about four years ago and then landed at my first agency about four years ago out in Denver. And since then I've been just kind of bouncing around to a couple different agencies, uh, over the last four years. Wow. That sounds, sounds cool. I saw, um, that you'd written a post, uh, fairly recently about um how you didn't appreciate working from home so i think you called it confessions from a work from home <laughs> dropout uh, yeah i was wondering like because i i've got kind of a 
a mixed sort of feeling about working from home. We've got we've got quite a flexible um, arrangement at Deepcrawl where we can we can work from home uh, a couple of days per week, and I enjoy it to begin with. But I feel generally I'm more productive when I'm surrounded by other people in an office. Is that your kind of experience of things as well? Yeah, definitely. I thought, and I like I said, I'd worked remote for a couple of years for when I was doing freelance. Um, and then, but that's also before I'd kind of worked agency side in an office around people. Uh, and then when I got the opportunity to work for Sear, uh, I was obviously excited about that, excited to kind of see what the, the larger agency situation looked like. Um, and was pretty excited about remote to start with, but, uh, I just kind of found myself getting bored at home all day. Um, I had, had a friend that had office space that I borrowed a desk from, but, because mm-hmm. I wasn't paying for it, I didn't feel like I had to go all the time. So right. I didn't really go that much um, and just kind of definitely missed being around people. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, we have a really great dog, but she doesn't talk back. So <laughs> it's not, not as great company as coworkers. And yeah, kind of the same thing. I definitely feel like I'm, I'm more productive around other people. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we have the, the agency that I'm at now. We have the, the, kind of the same situation as deep crawl. We have the option to work from home a couple of days a week, especially if the weather's bad or that sort of thing. And it's definitely nice to have that flexibility, but also nice to have the, the office environment too. Yeah. I feel like the, the people that do get that complete remote working situation to, to really work for them, they tend to have quite strict routines and they, they have like a, a very separate space where they're working and, um, so there's no, there's no like, uh, I don't know, just working in your, your living room or I don't know, from your bed or, or something. Right, it's like, exactly. yeah, there's, there's very, there's a set routine there, which they stick to. So maybe that's, that's the key to it. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. I tried, tried to do that, but it's a lot easier in theory than practice. <laughs> um, so at your current agency, um, the first question that I had is what, what is the, What's the meaning behind the name Two Octobers? Is it is it just like a, a strange sort of name that, that kind of is meant to be quirky, or is it a campaign to to have two two lots of Halloweens in one year? Like what what's the what's the meaning behind that? Uh, that's a great question. So the two principals of the company, uh, Nico and Chris, that founded the company a few years ago, um, they kind of they were working together at another company, and they kind of got the idea in October of one year. And then when they finally decided to um, quit the jobs that they were working in and actually make a go of it with the with the agency on their own was in October of the following year. So that's kind of where the, the two Octobers came from. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, and I was, I was drawn to it because my birthday's in October, so it all kind of <laughs> seemed to fit was, well. It was a natural fit. <laughs> yep. And uh, working at Two Octobers, can you talk us a bit through uh, what your day-to-day looks like there? And I'd be keen to kind of dive into the kind of people that you're working with, not only clients, but particularly from a development standpoint, like who, who do you work with there? Uh, yeah, so uh, my day-to-day, so I'm an SEO uh, senior SEO account manager, and then also I'm the uh, SEO practice lead. So what that means is, while I don't have to necessarily manage people directly, I get to kind of be responsible for growing our practice as far as process um, and uh, new product and new deliverables, that sort of thing, and then also kind of education and leadership of um, our, the people that are doing SEO 
in our company, which is fun because I really like the education piece that comes along with um, being an SEO and being able to kind of teach other people and help help them learn and grow and be better at their jobs. So that's been kind of a natural fit, which has been really fun. Um, and then on the client side, I have um, clients ranging in size from large uh, multi-location um, brick and mortar locations. I have pretty large e-commerce clients um, and then some really small like local business, uh, local service provider, those types of clients. So mm-hmm. it's really nice to kind of have a broad, personally, I like having a broad range of clients. It gives um, kind of a broad range of challenges and it's really easy to uh, it really prevents getting bored when you have clients across a broad range of issues and sizes and that sort of thing. Nice. And uh, no. you mentioned educating people about SEO. Is that primarily clients or is that more people internally that you're talking to about SEO and kind of keeping them up to date? What What does that look like? Mostly internally. So we have some employees that um, just started in the last couple of months, a couple just out of college. So they're pretty green as far as digital marketing and SEO goes. So um, helping them kind of find the right resources and grow their their SEO skill set. Um, as an SEO team, we do an SEO brown bag session every other week where we get together for an hour. We talk about um, any client issues that we're having that maybe we want to have run by the whole team. Um, we kind of use that time to help um, kind of flesh out any deliverables that maybe we're kind of revamping um, that we want to have a standardized process on. Um, anything new that's popped up in the industry in the last couple of weeks, just kind of using that as a time to regroup as a as a team of SEO practitioners and kind of all make sure we're um, on the same page and that sort of thing. Cool. And uh, do you do any education with, with clients as such or is, is that not so much a thing? Yeah, we're definitely trying to do more of that. So one thing, cool thing that's happening at our company right now is uh, we're working on the process of getting B Corp certified, which is um, a term used for nonprofit, uh, for any for-profit entity. That's I'm reading the description here. Uh, B Corp is a term used for any for-profit entity that's certified by the nonprofit B Lab, um, which basically means that we voluntarily meet a higher standard of transparency, accountability, and performance. So that basically kind of for us means we're going to really be intentional about, um, one, our policies, so who we're buying office supplies from, who we're sourcing uh, software from, and then on the other side, who we're providing services to. So it's really kind of opening up the doors for us to be a lot more intentional about the types of clients that we work with. And in that same vein, um, being more intentional about helping to provide education. So uh, our one of our principals, Nico, actually just did a workshop uh, last week. He had about 10 to 15 nonprofits in attendance and did a, a half-day analytics workshop and just kind of gave some really good foundational education around Google Analytics. And ideally, we'd kind of start branching this out into other areas of service that we offer. So paid search, paid social, SEO, and really starting to kind of um, help offer kind of a a platform for education for both the clients that we serve and just kind of our community as a whole. Cool. Um, um, So does does that apply? Is that something you're doing across the, the whole agency then? Yeah, so the the goal is by the end of uh, 2020 to have the the company actually be B Corp certified. Okay, I'm going to have to have a look at that. Is that that a US thing, do you know, or is that...? Uh, No, I think it's international, actually. Okay, right. I have to have a look at that. That sounds really cool. Um, Yeah, it's been an interesting process. Has that been going on for a while, or, or is that something you can get relatively quickly? 
Um, it's kind of an intensive process. So we, well, we, one thing, interesting thing we do at our company is every quarter we have goal groups. So we break the company up into smaller teams and there's every team has an area of focus, um, on either something that we can improve on, improve on upon for the company or for our clients. So this last quarter of 2019, we've been focusing on the air, different areas of the B Corp certification. So, um, because basically have, there's a whole like hundred, multi-hundred point checklist and you get different amount of points for different things on the checklist. And so we've basically been going through the checklist and seeing where we're kind of low on the point scale and what we can do to improve our points so that we can um, meet the threshold for certification. Right, okay. Um, just moving on to looking at how you work with clients. Um, what, what does that look like there? Do you have... Uh, are you working with developers in uh, your clients' organizations? Do you have um, developers working for the agent, your agency? Uh, so most of our clients have um, either in-house developers or they have an external development agency that they work with. So we typically, um, and ideally the clients that we work best with, we have direct access to either that in-house developer or that external development agency. Um, and if that's the case, then we typically will try to schedule like a, a biweekly or a monthly call with that external developer um, just to kind of make sure we're all on the same page that we can bring um, any issues that we have found that we need them to work on um, in kind of that format. But we also uh, are trying to get better at implementing uh, tracking documents so that way in the interim between those meetings, we have uh, full transparency, transparency between us and the developers as to what needs to be happening and who's responsible and that way people can go in and developers can in theory go in and say oh hey these are the things that are on our in our development queue um we can switch those to done when they're done and everybody can kind of stay up to date on what's going on and what needs to happen mm-hmm. is there um are you like I, I see that your expertise are mainly in local seo and technical seo um is there is that something that you specialize in as an agency or is, is that something that's more of a kind of personal skill of yours? Yeah, that's definitely kind of more personal preferences that I've just kind of gravitated both towards technical and local, which is mm-hmm. kind of a strange combination I'm learning as far as SEOs go. Um, but as an agency, we are definitely um, specialized kind of across the board where we're really, we do really well with, with e-commerce clients. We do really well with um, multi-location clients, both on the, the paid search and the SEO side. Um, we're definitely pretty pretty well-versed across the board. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's cool. Is I'm always quite interested about local search because it's like something that I, I don't know all that much about. Is is it is it that much different from like organic search? Is it just like a um, are, you, are you focusing more on things like um, reviews and what what are the kind of like main things to look out for with with local search? I think for local search, the biggest difference is um, just being able to ensure that your client or the site that you're working on um, is able to show up for those proximity searches. So when someone's searching um, best brewery near me or that sort of thing, just because 
local searches are so so proximity based that a search result if i search for best brewery near me at our office i'm going to i'm going to get different breweries than if i search for best brewery near me from my house 10 minutes down the road mm-hmm. um so with local search you kind of have that as a challenge of making sure that um, you have the content on your site and you have all the the relevant information so that um, that site will show up for those searches 10, 20 miles away um, because those still are going to be relevant, but you, there's a lot more competition when you have those types of, those types of proximity searches, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are definitely things like obviously reviews do make a huge difference. Um, Google my business makes a huge difference if a business doesn't have like Google my business listing set up and optimized that definitely puts them at a disadvantage compared to another business that may have that set up. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely, I think, not more moving parts that go into local search, but I think there's just a, there's definitely a different set of moving parts. Mm-hmm. Would you say it's changing as rapidly as other other areas of search? So we, yeah, we, I would. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say that um, Google, especially with Google My Business, there's so many things that um, will be like kind of in beta mode that maybe you'll see in one area of the country or even one area of the world and you might not see that feature in another one and then a feature will show up for a little while and then it'll go away and there's definitely a lot of a lot of fluctuation there yeah um i've i've heard some rumblings that it's kind of turning to a pay-to-play sort of situation with uh Google My Business and within local search is that is that something that you see happening soon or is it already happening and I'm I'm not even aware of it. <laughs> um, it hasn't quite gotten there yet with the Google My Business listing. You can obviously have a listing and have all of the features without having to pay for them. Um, but there are things like local service ads um, that definitely are pay to play that um, impact even though they're not. it's paid search it's not organic or local results it still impacts the local results because now we're seeing those local service ads uh show up above the google my business listing so now if that's if you're not doing those service ads you're kind of missing out on that because you're going to have your listing pushed down by those service ads um but i i kind of predicted last year kind of and just talking to other industry friends and stuff have talk to people that I think there's definitely going to be some form of pay-to-play at some point uh, Mm -hmm. with the Google My Business listing, whether that's in um, features that are added to the Google My Business listing or um, placement of the listing, that sort of thing. I think think Google's going to have to monetize some, some, something in the Google My Business listing in the near future in order to, to make it more competitive. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly surefire thing, isn't it? That at some point yeah. Google's going to look to make money out of it <laughs> somehow. Yeah, which, which is unfortunate because for so yeah. many small businesses, it's so vital to their business that having them have to pay for certain features that may be really beneficial to them that would be hard for them to pay for mm-hmm. might really be detrimental to them. Uh, yeah, well, let's, let's hope it doesn't happen too soon then. Yeah, hopefully. Um, but, Moving on a bit, um, I was wondering whether you had any disaster stories or any time when things haven't gone 
particularly well working with with other teams. That that might not necessarily be with uh, clients that you're working with now. I can understand you might not want to talk about uh, things that are ongoing, but uh, maybe maybe in in the past something uh, that hasn't gone too well, and um, yeah, um, what what your kind of learnings from from that experience were. Yeah, so it's not really necessarily working with another team, but um, we had an instance where we had um, all that we were managing, like over a thousand Google My Business listings for um, a thousand might be slightly too many. We were managing a lot of Google My Business listings for um, a partner that we were working with. And uh, we were also managing the Google ads for this for a bunch of uh, the same accounts and they were all under the same Google account. Well, for some reason there was some glitch in Google AdWords where when a location extension was created for, um, for local ads, if that account didn't have a Google My Business listing, AdWords was just creating a Google My Business listing for it. But Mm -hmm. because we didn't realize this and because it wasn't being made clear in Google ads, uh, these Google My Business listings were just going unverified because they weren't actually needing to have a listing. Most of the time they already had a listing, uh, but we were just creating, they were just adding an AdWords extension. Um, We ended up with a ton, a ton of uh, unclaimed listings in this account. And all of a sudden Google just suspended the entire Google account. Really? So we had to go through, which was, it took us a little while to figure it out. We actually uh, enlisted the help of some, some, local experts like Joy Hawkins to help us uh, kind of get to the bottom of the issue. But it was just kind of frustrating because essentially Google's product created the issue in its own product. So we had to go through the process of segregating um, the actual listings that we wanted to be managing into a new account, getting them uh, unsuspended. And then um, because there was no point in trying to clean up the old account, we just created a new account for GMB only, and now we have separate separate management accounts for GMB and separate management accounts for AdWords, and we add add access between the two as needed. But yeah, it got a little got a little hairy there for a little bit. <laughs> how how many unclaimed listings do you have to have before Google suspends it? That's a really good question. That, I what kind of I scale get, was it would, getting to? Um, there was definitely multi hundred. There was definitely in the in the multi hundreds in that account. So I would assume anything over probably fifty to a hundred is probably going to get Google's attention at some point, and they're going to say, "Hey, something's going on here." <laughs> but I wish they. I wish in those types of situations they could, because like we have we have Google Ads reps. Like somebody you'd think could have been able to say, "Hey." do you want to take a look at what's going on here and have a chance to clean it up before we just suspend the whole account? <laughs> but no, they just uh, just take the action and then you have to deal with the fallout. Yep, yep exactly. <laughs> so luckily, luckily all the clients were really, really understanding and how we're patient with us as yeah. we worked through the, the is, unsuspension process. Is there anything that you can take away from that really? Or is it is it just like, do you just put that down to... Google having a having a bit of a mare. Um, I think I think while it was a Google issue, I think it's definitely probably important to make sure when you have that many listings in an account um, or you're working cross channel on um, 
multiple accounts that are hosted under the same account to probably just kind of have it part of your your QA process quarterly or some sort of cadence to just kind of double check that everything looks okay and nothing's getting a little crazy. So kind of make sure everything's in check. Mm-hmm. Cool. And um, you mentioned earlier that you're working with a couple of big e-commerce clients. Are there any big challenges that, that you face there that, that you'd like to share? Um, I think just with any with any Google update, I think e-commerce is can be tricky just because um, it tends to be more competitive. There's obviously usually no matter unless you're selling something super super niche, um, there's likely going to be other competitors in your space. So being able to make sure that with every Google update that comes out, that we're continually kind of on top of what we're doing, but also on top of what your competitors doing. Um, and just making sure that things like uh, product pages and category pages and things like that continually fit what Google's looking for, um, especially as far as content goes. Um, when you get e-commerce sites that have tons and tons of product, obviously it can be more of a challenge to get things like content on product pages. So kind of helping to ensure, helping to kind of educate the client on knowing the importance of having content on product pages and why that's not only important because it helps users want to buy that content, buy that product, but also why that's important for mm-hmm. Google as well. Uh, in the, the client's organization, who is it that you're uh, talking to about that? Who are you uh, trying typically to educate? It's, uh, yeah, typically it's um, usually like kind of head of, head of marketing, um, those types of people that, um, kind of have some of the the decision-making power in in those types of situations. Mm -hmm. Are they quite receptive to these sorts of recommendations or are there any challenges there in kind of getting your your point across and getting things actioned there? Uh, It can definitely be hit or miss. I think it kind of depends on the situation um, with, the, the specific situation with who we're working with. But um, typically if we can usually kind of make a pretty strong case, especially with uh, looking at a competitor site to say, which is kind of where the, the idea that uh, to do a competitive analysis from a technical perspective came from um, being able to kind of leverage some of those, Hey, the competitors doing this, they're seeing X, Y, and Z results. We should really do this so we can see even better results and hopefully better results mm-hmm. than them. Um, kind of came from being able to kind of use that competitor standing as leverage to get our clients to implement what we think would be valuable. Yeah, I can I can imagine that's quite a strong motivator to to change something if you can convince them that um that one of their closest competitors is uh doing something better and, and seeing results from that. Um yeah. Yeah that that's something that I was looking into a bit a while back with um, performance and page speed as well, um, particularly looking with the Chrome user experience report because um, in that you can look at competitors' domains and um, you can start comparing how your site performs compared to, to competitors. And, um, yeah, I'd, I'd imagine that's a, a great way to, to get by in particularly um, if you're working agency side. Yeah, for sure. 
it's definitely it's amazing what you can find out about a competitor um, by just dropping them into into Screaming Frog and get it now being able to get that page speed information in Screaming Frog. But also, there's a lot you can find out about a competitor um, that besides things like you typically when we talk about think about competitor analysis, we think about content and what keywords they're ranking for and that sort of thing. But um, from a tech perspective, do they have schema? Do they have what's their page speed like? All these other things that you can dive into too. Yeah, that that's something that um, people ask us quite a lot about um, what you can do with with deep crawl, and it, it's something that um, we we kind of say like you can look at how a competitor's site is kind of structured, and um, also how it's performing from a um, from a technical perspective. But um, it yeah, it's not like a, a primary use case for what we do, um, particularly with as crawling competitor sites can be seen as a bit i don't know not yeah i don't know some people have like ethical problem problems with it but um yeah i i think i think it's a, a good use case all in all yeah i think as long as you're not like using it to then um enact some negative seo tactics on that competitor i think if you're just kind of using it as um kind of educational to improve your own SEO strategies or to get, get things to kind of get implemented faster. I think it's totally, I'm totally, that's kind of where I see the ethical line. Yeah. Um, moving on to um, the flip side of the disaster stories. So do you have any success stories that you can share with us where perhaps you've collaborated with uh, clients or um, different teams to, to achieve some, some good results? Yeah, I had a, a multi-location um, eyeglass client a year or so ago um, that we we were doing both organic SEO for, but then we were doing local SEO on um, on their all of their location pages and their Google My Business listings and that sort of thing. Um, and we had we were kind of in charge of that, but then they had their own um, external developer, and we were able to kind of really establish a good relationship with him. We were able to kind of we had full email access to him, which was great. And we're able to kind of the, the client kind of stepped back and let us kind of have that relationship with him versus them having to kind of relay information to the developer, um, and get their sign off before we could take something to, to the developer. And that allowed us to get things implemented a lot faster, which allowed us to see results for the client a lot faster, which um, meant a, a pretty significant gain in not only organic traffic, but also um, traffic to the, the location pages on the website, which then converted into increased in-store traffic, um, that sort of thing, which I feel like in situations where you have to go through the client to get to the developer or the client has to sign off on things before the developer can do them um all of that adds an extra step or two or three that can take more time which then takes more time for things to get implemented so being able to have that direct relationship was really beneficial mm -hmm. um was there anything that you did in particular to to have that direct access to uh the, the developer or is that more just uh being being lucky with the the client who was offering that up. Um, I think one it was yeah one it was definitely being lucky that the client was was really busy themselves and it was one less thing for them to have to do one thing off of their plate for us to be able to just have that direct um, 
connection, just direct contact with the, the developer. But I think also once the client started seeing the impact of what we were doing and that we were able to kind of keep things moving at a pretty fast pace, I think that also helped make them more comfortable with us having that direct contact as well. Yeah. Um, how how was it working with, with that developer? Was he quite open to implementing what you were suggesting or um, were, there, were there any like hurdles to, to overcome there was he was he just or she just seeing it as like a um a, an extra extra load of uh, extra load of steps to um or an extra load of things to to implement they were pretty uh, receptive to most of the things that we had um Obviously, sometimes as with any developer situation, there's going to be some pushback. But as long as we were able to kind of make a pretty strong use case and say, hey, we think this is going to imp- impact this if we can get this fixed, um, they were usually pretty pretty willing to make those changes pretty quickly for us. Nice. Cool. Um, is there any advice that you'd have uh, that you'd, you'd offer up to people um, for working better, particularly with developers in in putting those use cases across effectively um i think one obviously being sensitive to developers time especially if the developer that you're working with was the developer that uh actually built the site um i think i've definitely worked in situations where i've worked with developers who built the site and on the flip side developers who were hired on after a site was built and I feel like the developers who actually built the site tend to be a little more sensitive when you call out things that are wrong, Mm -hmm. specifically around page speed or other things, um, that sort of thing. So just being sensitive to how you present issues uh, that you need to be fixed so you're not kind of stomping on on developers' work if they were the ones that that were – the ones that created that that site, and then just doing what you can to kind of create a good relationship with those developer. Mm-hmm. Are there any uh, particular ways that you think are better communicating with developers? Do you do you think they they just prefer kind of um, less calls and more just like it just being like very kind of blunt? Like here's what needs to be done. Here's here's how to. Um, why it needs to be done and kind of leave it at that? Um, I think having a good a good case for it, so like mm-hmm. with PageSpeed being able to say, um, this is the PageSpeed, here's where we're seeing it impact these pages, um, we're seeing people fall off of these pages, we're seeing being able to correlate that issue to a direct problem, so PageSpeed is equaling less conversions, I think can also kind of help light the fire on your developers definitely yeah um so i'd like to where do i want to go next um is there anything that you'd like to shamelessly promote we we've got a section on this podcast where we allow people to just um plug whatever they want where and that that tends to fall into to two categories. So the first is like if there if there's something that you'd like to um, promote, then feel free to. Or if there's like a um, a product, a service, or something that makes your working life that bit easier, um, then you can uh, promote that too. If any anything oh, comes to um, mind, 
Um, I guess kind of a fun, fun personal plug is I'll be, like we talked about, I'll be at uh, Brighton SEO in April. So if you're planning on coming to Brighton, um, stop by and say hi. It'd be great to meet people. Um, and then on the flip side, if you are looking for um, for some agency resources, we love partnering with, with other agencies, with other companies, um, maybe if SEO or one of the other services that we offer isn't necessarily in your wheelhouse. Um, we definitely do love to, to partner with people, um, especially uh, clients and partners that, that match up with uh, the types of clients that we like to work with. Um, so definitely feel free to reach out. And also, I just also love talking about SEO with people. Uh, so if you have, have any questions, feel free to reach out via Twitter. I'm happy to chat. Uh, I definitely recommend Brighton SEO for, for that. That's um, it's a, a great place to just uh, uh, to, to shoot the shit about SEO. Um, uh, you were down in Brighton before. Was that your first time earlier in the year? And it was. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, what was your What was your experience of it? How What did you What did you think? How did it compare to um, Tech SEO Beast or one of the the US conferences? Um, I think the I think the nice thing about Brighton is there's uh, there's so many people, which can obviously be a little bit overwhelming. There's a lot of people to uh, to talk to and to try to connect with while you're there, but there's also not a shortage of sessions to take in. So whatever your kind of your skill level or your um, your knowledge of SEO is, or even digital marketing as a whole, there's definitely some non-specific SEO topics that I, that I saw when I was at Brighton. I think there's definitely something for everybody. So, um, and even if you, I've, I found there were a few sessions that were hard to get into just because there's so many people that sometimes there wasn't room in a, in a session. Um, take the time to just network with people. So even if you need a kind of brain break from the sessions, there's definitely a huge networking benefit to Brighton as well, just because there are so many people. Yeah. If, I, I feel like Brighton could be spread out over a couple of days just because there's yeah, so sure. many tracks. It, it's difficult to, um, to, to choose the talks that you want to want to go to. I always feel like I, I've missed out on a, a few talks that I wanted to go to whenever I go. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a shortage of things, which is great that they record them. Yeah, that that's true. Yeah. Some of the, the podcasts. Yeah. I need to remember to, to listen to those actually. Yeah. As well as tech SEO beast. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. I'm definitely glad that they record tech SEO boost because there's so many things that I'm, I need to go back on later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing that I wanted to talk about just before we kind of wrap this up is I saw that you'd written a post about imposter syndrome. I was wondering whether you might want to talk about some of your experiences around that. That's something that um, I spoke with Arij Abuali, spoke with her a few months ago now about that. And it's something that um, is being spoken about increasingly often in SEO and in, uh, I think, also uh, the development world as well. Um, so I'd be interested to, to hear your experiences uh, of that and um, how you kind of deal with it. Yeah, that's a great, great question, a great topic. Um, just a shout out to Arij um, for connecting me with you and just for being awesome for the women in tech community in general. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that I feel like people are 
I think it's something that's always existed, but I feel like people are becoming more okay and more comfortable talking about it. But I think in, in an industry that can be so vocal, especially when you have uh, non-moderated platforms like Twitter and Reddit and everything's Reddit's a little more moderated, but things like Twitter, especially where anybody can say anything about any topic. I think it can be intimidating for somebody maybe who's just starting out in SEO and just intimidating in general. I still get intimidated by Twitter all the time. Um, just because people can have an opinion about anything and you kind of have to decide for your, it's kind of up to you for yourself to figure out if that opinion is, or what they're saying is actually right or, or not. So it can kind of be one intimidating to actually put a thought or an opinion about something out there because anybody can kind of give you their unsolicited feedback, whether that's positive or negative about that. Um, so if like you're just coming up with a concept or you're not sure if something is the right way to do something, it can be intimidating to kind of throw that out there. And then kind of on the flip side, there's so much being said that it can kind of probably feel, I know it can definitely feel overwhelming to kind of throw your own kind of two cents into the conversation because you feel like, oh, this person's been doing SEO for 20 years. Where where do I fit into that? They obviously know what they're talking about. I should just kind of let those people just kind of keep having that conversation. So I think kind of just encouraging anyone who's doing SEO or in any industry, um, if you have thoughts on something, like share them. Like there's definitely room in any conversation for for multiple points of view. I think that's what also makes our industry so great is we have all of these conferences and we have platforms like Twitter where you can get so many people's opinions and experiences on things that, um, that you should just do that. I think with, but kind of my word of caution would be that with, even if you're an experienced SEO with anything that you see on Twitter or at a conference, um, I think it's great that we have these, these platforms and outlets to share the things that we learn, but obviously um, make sure that you kind of, dive into them a little bit on your own and test them out before you apply them to the projects that you're working on. Because while something that someone uses with pagination, for example, someone, some, some things someone does with pagination for their client site, while it might be kind of the, the Google, I'm making air quotes, Google approved way to do something might not apply to might not fit your use case if you have a certain set of parameters going on with your site. So obviously um, also kind of just make sure you test out what you're, what you're hearing on your own to make sure that it, it fits as well. Mm -hmm. I think particularly with, with Twitter, um, I used to look at people who like occasionally you'll see people going, Oh, I'm taking a break from, from Twitter. It's gotten too much. And I'd, it might sound slightly insensitive, but I used to think like, oh, it's a bit melodramatic that you're having, like <laughs> announcing that you're having this break from Twitter. But I, it does it does you a lot of good every now and again because it, it can get too much. And especially when you see the the people on there who are who are more vocal and bringing quite a lot of negative energy, it's, yeah, can get yeah. a bit much and you just need to take a break, get a bit of perspective and... Um, equally with the with some of the people on on Twitter, it's uh, you just wish that people would be more, I guess, 
inclusive or, or maybe just like take a deep breath before they they start replying to things or um yeah it's it's a strange place twitter there's there's a, a lot of good that comes from it but yeah for sure um i think sorry go ahead i was gonna say i think your point about people announcing when they're gonna take a twitter break i think and like, I can definitely see where that could be a little melodramatic sometimes, but I think people might also do it to kind of hold themselves accountable too. So if they yeah. say they're going to take a Twitter break and then all of a sudden they're still on Twitter six hours a day, their their friends, their followers will call them out and say, hey, you're going to be off Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that, that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, it's been really great speaking with you, Nikki. I've learned a ton and it's been there. Fun, fun talking about Twitter, talking about tech SEO beast. Um, uh, we're recording this before Christmas, so this will probably go out, I'd imagine, some point in January. And yeah. I've realized how much kind of learning I've got to do over the Christmas break. Things oh, are, right. are kind of winding down a bit um, over here now. So, yeah, need to need to do a load of reading and, and learning um as well as relaxing as well so good so make sure you have that in there (laughs) cool um yeah thank thank you so much for for speaking to me and um i can't wait to to catch up with you at brighton in april yeah definitely thanks so much sam i appreciate it right thanks a lot thank you so much to nikki for being such a brilliant guest if you'd like to hear more from her you can find her on twitter at knickers85 so that's spelled n-i-k ERS85. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Marsden. And if you'd like to share our humble podcast with the world, then make sure to add the hashtag open underscore dialogue. Before you go, I would like to let you know that this podcast has been made possible by my employer, Deepcrawl. So if you're interested in improving the technical health and organic performance of the websites that you manage, make sure that you check us out, head on over to deepcrawl.com and have a look at how we can help. We've even got a two-week trial for you to give us a go with. I'd also like to give a shout out to BMO Studios based in Hackney Central. They make Open Dialogue sound as great as it does. If you're interested in finding a written recap of this podcast, you can head on over to the Deepcrawl blog by visiting deepcrawl.com forward slash podcast And you'll also be able to sign up to our mailing list as well. So thank you again for listening and I hope you join us again soon.